Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. Heroes, this week we are continuing our adventure with The Well. Just a reminder, if you like what you're hearing with this game, it's already out. After a successful Kickstarter, the digital versions are available on Itch, and you can pre-order physical copies right now. Just follow the link in our show notes. Speaking of Kickstarters, the Kickstarter for the second season of Skyjack's Courier's Call is nearing its end. There are 10 days left to go and we're less than $1,500 away from the final stretch goal at $20,000. We'll have a new song by Arnie Parrott. To back, just search Kickstarter for Skyjack's Courier's Call or head to bit.ly slash skyjackscc2. That's bit.ly slash skyjacks, the letter C, the letter C, and the number two. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get to the show. Yeah, the most of the children like immediately break and rush off. I, I think some of the older kids like... First of all, everybody loves the goo, man. You know, this is one of the few uh, opportunities that you have living in Bastion to experience a flavor. Um, <laughs> so goo, goo is pretty exciting and great for that. But but the older kids have much more of a concept of what it means to have someone in their family be a grave digger. And, you know, even if there is love, even if there is support within this polycule for what you're doing, there is this reticent nervousness, this secret hope that maybe we don't need you to keep doing this. Or maybe you'll have, have decided that you've had your fill. So the, the older kids, the, the partners that, that you are closest to, that, that you share a romance with like there is just this lingering moment where you know hands on you might might tighten slightly hoping that this is the time that that you will decide that you are done and of course they see as always that resoluteness that commitment to the thing that you have decided is worth potentially dying for and Probably as after I walk out the door and, and head down the corridor, uh, probably one says to another, maybe this is the last time. And I can't hear it, but they're, they're quietly hoping. Yeah. And we move up. We move up near the level of the gate. What, what is the name of the bar where grave diggers? The Broken Shovel. The Broken Shovel. We move up like we can hear sort of the the quiet clinking of Rue's armor as they come near the broken shuffle. Rue and Blaze and Leonardo have an understanding within their group. Normally, gravediggers will meet in the broken shuffle, but but Rue is not looked on favorably by other gravediggers and prefers not to go in if they can avoid it. But the clinking of their armor is, is kind of this telltale thing. Everybody knows when the zealot with the hammer and the armor is approaching. And there are a few side-eye glances, a few whispers outside the threshold of the broken shuffle. You can feel people's eyes on you while you wait 
but someone steps out of that crowd with a bit of a stumbling step. They are clearly in their cups. They've got this bottle hanging from their hand. Go, Oi! Zealot! Uh, hi there. What level are you going to today? I don't know that we've decided yet. Well, you best be careful to leave any valuables you find where you find them, since you're not concerned with them. You can feel as they approach you, their breath is thick with the alcohol, the awful acrid alcohol that is distilled from mushrooms that manage to get just a little bit of sweetness in them. It is usually distilled and redistilled to get it to a point where there's enough alcohol that it can send someone into a state like this. It's not like the nice sweet things that they drink on the lower levels. It hits you like a wall. <sighs> Blaze steps between them and hisses at the drunk. And uh, Leonardo <laughs> makes his way towards the outside of the circle and puts two hands on two of these mm, these rapscallions and says, perhaps your goo has gone sour, friends. I think this is a great opportunity for people to roll and try and de-escalate this situation. Uh, Blaze, you decided to move first. Mm-hmm. So tell me if you're using a a skill or anything to, to do this. Also, you know, I, I think this is right now circumstantially a flat roll, but if you're doing anything to sort of make yourself seem more intimidating with that hiss, please let me know. Hmm. I think as a general rule, she probably always has like her lantern burning or a candle burning or something so she at least has the mm-hmm. element of like a little bit of fire on her but in terms of a skill i don't think no i think she's just attempting to animalistically intimidate him if possible i like this i think i am going to give you a plus one because of your reputation you have a reputation for being really chaotic and i think there is a rumor that you lit someone on fire once yeah. Like, yeah, that's I real. don't know what the truth of the situation oh, is, true, true. but the thing that people <laughs> say is that Blaze, somebody, somebody like made a overly aggressive pass at Blaze or something like that, and Blaze literally just lit them on fire. Oops. So you've got a plus one. Roll it up. So I'm rolling two. I'm rolling a d6 with a plus one. You're you're rolling a d6. Now, you can always decide to take a gambit on this and basically expose yourself to some form of danger or or negative consequence to add another die to this roll. Basically, if you roll a one on any of the d6s with with your bonus die, bad things can happen. Whatever whatever gambit you offered will get triggered. Uh, but otherwise, it is another die that adds to your roll, which, you know, gives you a chance of resolving this conflict very quickly without any trouble whatsoever. And an example of a gambit would be like, I burned myself with a candle impermanently. That would be like a level one gambit, right? Yeah, like a level one gambit, I would say, you know, that that is supposed to be like a temporary problem. So for you, especially because the threat is 
you know, I might be lighting you on fire if uh, if this goes on, could be that your oil from your lantern like gets spilled or something. You'd be down like one vial of oil, which sort of limits the available fire you'd have above because like you'd be like waving it in his face. What am I hoping to roll? Like what number? So most uh, challenges, and I am going to say this challenge in particular, is going to be at a five. You, you want to get at least five on whatever you roll in order to completely resolve this. All right. I'm going to hurt myself right now. Well, I'll hurt myself either way. Okay, yeah. My lantern spills. Let's do that. Well, no. So it doesn't necessarily spill yet. What you're doing is giving yourself the potential for it to spill. It won't spill unless you roll a one on one of these D6s. That oh, okay. Gotcha. If, if it were after the fact, you could add three for guaranteeing that you're going to spill. But right now, it's just there's a potential. Gotcha. So I'm rolling now two D6 plus one. Correct. Two D6 plus one. <gasps> wow. I got two sixes. Wow. Holy, okay, so in this situation, whenever you roll a six in this game, you actually, those dice explode like in Shadowrun and you roll more dice and continue adding. Oh. So you've already succeeded, but you could succeed by so much in what you're doing right now that you could get an extra bonus. That's an optional rule, but anytime somebody gives me a chance to uh, reward players for rolling well, I'm gonna take it. Yes. So roll more dice. Okay, so I got... Now a two and a three. That is going to be 17, 18, and you needed a five. What I'm going to say, like, nobody here really saw Blaze. Everybody was kind of focused on Rue because Rue, you know, wears this armor, calling attention to himself, like, wherever he goes and he's not well liked. But Blaze shows up and Blaze shows up with like this animalistic hiss and like a wave of her lantern and just a little bit of oil, I think, flicks out of the lantern in that wave and lands on this guy's shirt and he freezes and everywhere around you there is silence like Leonardo uh, there were people who were moving forward uh, who were maybe going to get involved in this conflict on this drunk idiot side but Leonardo like you know puts puts his hands up and and braces them back being like you don't want any part of this the guy freezes and his his eyes meet Blaze's eyes and you know, there, there's that moment where, you know, we're, we're not sure if, if this intimidation has worked. He's like trying to size up this person who, you know, he's heard things about. And then he sort of raises his hands, takes a step back, takes a little coin purse off of his hip, drops it on the ground, and then turns and runs the other way. So that's your bonus is uh, you got you got a coin purse. That we'll say there are enough silver pennies in there to pay for passage for everybody to pass the gate. Nice. She turns to the rest of the crowd and holding up her lantern and a devilish look in her eye. She's like, anybody else have something to say to my friend? No, I think we're all good here. Oh, and I. <laughs> Leonardo speaking for the crowd. In a, in a way to try to disarm <laughs> disarm everyone and try to turn this into a, a, a more jovial moment because there's definitely an air of animal fear in the in the crowd now. Just the way we like it. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, with that, your group is together. Thank you, Blaze. That that was very kind of you. I got your back. It's quite a show, Blaze. And if you could, if you could capture that smell in your candles, I think that would that would be a seller. The smell of that man pissing himself. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, the, yeah. the fear. The fear of being set alight on fire. That that would that would sell. You yeah, that's so, that's Rue. a good idea. That's a good idea. You think people really want to smell that? Yeah, sweat. It's a pretty cool smell. I think there are rich people who want to fill their foyers with the scent of fear before business meetings or something. I don't know. All right. I say, Daniel, are there any candles that smell of piss? I really feel this veranda could use some piss. Wow, take one of my cards and I'll I'll get working on it. And she gives him a wink. <laughs> Ooh, lovely. I do love the scent of piss. Tell your friends. Fear piss. Please. <laughs> Specifically fear piss. Specifically. So uh, with that, I, I feel like your group you know, sort of makes your way up and, and away from the broken shovel towards the gate and the gatekeeper, Mel, who oversees all entries to Bastion and exits from Bastion. Mel is the, you know, overall gatekeeper. There are lots of people in their employ who watch over this space and allow people passage to and from the tombs above. But Mel, I think, is very passionate about this job. They've got this kind of like hollow-eyed stare. They've been doing this as long as any of you have been <laughs> gravediggers. And they're wearing armor. It is beaten. There are scratches all over it. They have this big spear that can go through what what few holes they actually allow between the gate and the rest of the world above the well. It's clear that that spear has been used and seen some action. But Mel, you know, like looks over you three as, as you round the corner coming up and calls out, Oh, going back again already, I see. Hmm. Hey, Mel. Well met, Mel, and then Leonardo gestures to the well. Kind of an old, a joke that they've done a thousand times. Yeah, I think that joke sends Mel into a laughing fit that ends in just a brutal, unpleasant cough where they eventually wipe aside some spittle on their mouth that's uh, glowing kind of an iridescent green. It's, it's clearly... Some lung illness that is related to the lichen and fungus that glows on the walls. Uh, well, well said. Leonardo tosses Mel just a, a little uh, a vial of a special kind of like a slightly medicinal goo that helps coat and lubricate your your throat and, and eases some of some of the pain with that. It's small enough that it's not super valuable. So sample size. Sample size. Mm. Yeah, Mel, Mel will crack that open. I think a thick sort of syrupy medical scent of cherries fills the air and dips a finger in and pulls out this goo. I think one of the things that really distinguishes different people that produce and sell goo is the viscosity and texture of their goo. 
because I'll, I'll bet flavors of goo, like there are ways that you can tweak it just from the light and heat of how you're treating whatever funguses that you're growing. But like a good goo merchant is able to get like an actually pleasant viscosity out of it. But like regardless, like dips a dips a bony finger in, sucks down the goo a little bit uh, and swallows. Thank you. Thank you, Leonardo, as, as always. Much appreciated. What level are you thinking of approaching today? Rue? Rue? I, I don't know that we've talked about it. However high you all want to go, there is undead to fight everywhere. We're going all the way I've up. I've heard a rumor. Oh! oh. She winks, she winks. Oh What's my. the rumor? What's the rumor? <laughs> oh! Oh! I I heard a rumor that the other day, deep in the tombs of level three, uh, that one of one of my guards smelled someone coming back, and it was unlike anything they've ever smelled before. Uh, uh, not an unpleasant scent, but but a thick one that lingered for hours. One of the poor fools had fallen into a barrel of some kind and just been overwhelmed with the stuff. Good thing the dead can't smell, but it might be of interest to certain young ladies looking to ensure that they have the best smelling candles. Yeah, that sounds awesome. We gotta go there. That is, of course, unless it can also be turned into a goo, perhaps. I'm sure it can. Mel, Mel. A boon for both, my friends. Yes, two in one. I'm, well, never mind. Uh, no, nothing. That sounds great. She, her eyes looked kind of shifty for a second. <laughs> I love it. Customary, of course, but uh, debts need to be paid. And he'll pass out like this this paddle that is like the traditional place where you pace, uh, place your five silver pennies that pay for your exit and re-entry into Bastion. And Blaze puts down the coin purse that she just got from the uh, drunk person at the tavern. There, There is definitely enough there after, you know, moving fingers through the purse, counting it to his satisfaction. He'll tap his spear and the rest of the team at the gate begins the complicated unlocking mechanism process that actually opens the gate. The gate is never opened fully. It always has to open up and there are sort of complex uh, mechanisms that allow it to open up. There's just like this thick metal lid that is so heavy and so dense you can't imagine anything ever managing to move its way past without these mechanisms, but it's opened just a crack, just enough for each of you to squeeze past safely and comfortably. Uh, it never gets easier. Barely can make it through with all of my goo. My goo containers. Yeah, jingle jangle. Rue, and they start pulling Rue. Rue! <laughs> Another scrape on my armor. Yeah, Rue has to be kind of like dragged through. <laughs> yeah, there's like that that little screamy scrape of, of whatever metal the armor is made out of passing the heavy metal of the gate. But eventually you are through. 
and you can see the swirl of the tunnels uh, of like the well around you moving up up into you know also like an infinite kind of inky blackness the difference between being on this side of the gate and the gate before is the world of bastion is ruled over by powerful and wealthy people and even in the upper levels where they don't have as much control the law is still the law however beyond the gate when you are outside of bastion the world is freer free in a way that you would never truly be able to express to anyone who isn't a gravedigger and up here surrounding you there is graffiti Graffiti that has been layered on for hundreds of years in glowing bioluminescence taken from lichen and, and crushed up mushrooms and whatnot of messages of people who have been like, we got to level five. You know, we, we saw the sixth door or, ASL. you know, screw the farmer's guild <laughs> for a good time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Call some of it is Rue. like cool murals and whatnot <laughs> yeah root root runs runs his fingers over uh, uh something that he wrote in his younger days um, <laughs> or or i was thinking that other grave diggers wrote that up there as a as well a, just a little <laughs> as a guest <laughs> was that was, was that you leo no i was simply advertising for you but you could use it several years <laughs> ago wow i should do this for my shop yeah. actually that's a great idea uh maybe on the way out yeah. Would you guys like to get a little sing-song going while we ascend? Here we go, here we go. Up the well. Don't we, do -do. Here we go. Ho, oh. I ho. It's up the well we go. There we go, Rue. Very, very good. <laughs> I'm so tall and I hope I don't fall. <laughs> and down you go. Splash. Bla Blaze pushes oh, Rue into the, the hole. <laughs> <laughs> Short Thank you, the gate is right there. The gate is right there. So you didn't fall. The gate is right there. <laughs> Basically, a floor. Mm -hmm. But we we can see that the stairs that you're ascending, that the stone steps here have been like paved and repaved. There are sheets of metal and whatnot that have been nailed down over steps that have just been worn smooth over hundreds of years of different generations of grave diggers like ascending and you know moving to at least like the first two tombs are pretty common they're also pretty well picked over undead ha have been you know put down there and put down time and time again to where the dangers that you'd face in those first three tombs are, are not as severe but the higher you ascend the more time death has had to win over the fallen corpses, congeal and turn them into horrible monstrosities that live in people's nightmares and take the lives of erstwhile gravediggers who are not as careful or as lucky as you have been. As you pass the second door, there is a notable difference in the quality of the stairs. They have been worn down less by frequent travel, and the graffiti at this level is more sparse and more foreboding as well. The messages are chilling. A lot of them are epitaphs, 
messages written for gravediggers that have fallen in the upper levels. At this point, yeah, I just want to put it in your hands. Like, are, are, are y'all looking to go to level three? Maybe maybe chase down that lead? Or did you have other plans? In All for level three. That sounds great. Otherwise, you know, I would go right to level five and start scraping shrooms off the wall. But level three sounds pretty promising. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I support my companions in their endeavors, and I, I am fully encouraging them to go to level three and chase down their dreams. Thank you, Rue. So we find your group now having, well, actually, let's make it a little interesting. Level three is not heavily trod, so most of the stone steps are fine, but... Level three is one of the last, or maybe perhaps like the first attempt at really making a city. I think as you get to the higher and higher levels, civilization up there tended to fluctuate a little bit. There would be some years where defenses against the dead would hold very fast and strong, and you had a lot of time to burrow out these really big and complex tunnels and then people would suffer huge losses and the tunnels that they would have below like level seven we'll say was a huge complex city that never quite approached the heights of bastion but got pretty far and then something terrible happened to the point where level six there are very few spare tunnels there we get to level three level three was a pretty big city where they were getting used to like the idea of really fighting back against the dead, providing a strong defense, but they were also biding their resources because it was the first echoes of the plans for what would become the gate. And when everyone abandoned level three, they tried to do one of the most desperate things they have ever done in the name of defending humanity, which is they destroyed a part of the stairs as they left Ooh. level three behind so there is a gap Uh-oh. the final bit of ascent towards level three there are these ramshackle like very sort of rough things that uh, different grave diggers have put in place to give themselves the ability to pass at level three which is why most people don't bother because you actually face a little bit of danger before you even get to where you're trying to go. I I think like you can just see this area where above you, maybe 10 or or, or, no, well, let's, let's say like 20, 25 feet above, you can see the other part of the stairs that sit just before the, the massive door to level three, where all the stairs have been, you know, roughly crumbled away. Perhaps all that stone fallen into the well below never to be seen again until you reach whatever final depth the well holds assuming there is a final depth i think maybe there are crampons or or ropes set up there are probably a bunch of different ways to pass this crevice how does your group go about doing that Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I've got lots of cool events coming up in the month of June. 
First up, I'm going to be promoting my new book, The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide, with digital events at bookstores. The first one is on June 4th at 7 p.m. Central Time with Next Chapter Booksellers. After that, on June 9th at 7 p.m. Central Time, I'll be doing a digital event with Barbara's Bookstore. At both events, I'll be using exercises from the books with a partner to develop new worlds right before your eyes. So if you're wondering how the book works, or you just want to see a bit of storytelling, I definitely recommend tuning in. By following the links in our show notes, you'll be able to register for those events and get notified as soon as they go live. And be sure to see the event on June 9th because I'm going to be working with one of my favorite fantasy authors, Alexandra Rowland. Also, as this is June 1st, I wanted to let everyone know that my new book, The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide, is officially out. You can find it wherever books are sold, at big brick-and-mortar stores like Barnes & Noble, all online retailers, digital ebook providers, and of course, your favorite indie brick-and-mortar bookstores. Just head to bit.ly slash ultimateworldbuilding and you'll be able to order it right now. But I've still got more events! On Friday, June 11th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Central, I'll be appearing on the Holy Happy Hour Batman stream, hosted by The Gamer Priest. I'll be there to talk about the religious, cultural, and theological influences on the world of Sphere for Campaign Skyjacks. If you're a big fan of deep world building or you just want to know more about me, I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. You can tune in on June 11th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time to twitch.tv slash thatgamerpriest. As always, a huge thank you to our supporters on Patreon. We wouldn't be able to make shows like this without you. Heroes, we've got some really neat rewards coming up that I am excited about. Right now, we are going through a bonus series that crosses over Jolly Jack from Skyjacks with the Courier's Call crew. Soon, we're going to be starting up individual thank yous on our feeds again. I apologize about taking so long to organize that. The truth is, I need assistance in sorting out which names are new. And there have been lots of big and exciting things going on in my life, which has distracted me from pulling in that assistance. But I'll be addressing that this week. Thanks everyone so much for your patience, and thanks everyone for supporting us. If you want to become a backer, be sure to head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up today. Not only will you be helping us produce shows like this, but you can get lots of cool rewards as well. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. What would be the, um, the, I, I imagine that this is a, a, a trek that gravediggers make semi-regularly. Um, as a small business owner, I would probably want to do the safest route uh, and the most most profitable. Yeah. Uh, so there is a a route uh, where like these little iron spikes have been hammered into the wall they are footholds and there are sort of rough handholds that have been carved into the wall and because this is just level three and not the most extreme level like there is still some foot traffic here it's nowhere near what it is for levels one and two but people do pass so these handholds have been worn smooth a little bit after you know a hundred years of people putting their hands in these places. There are little hooks where you can hook up carabiners. The challenge of 
getting past it, if you were going to cross on the what, what I think people have called the nail ladder, passing the nail ladder is kind of simple. It just takes a lot of time, especially if you're going to do it safely. You can do this. It will take you maybe as a whole group, especially because one of you is in full armor. It'll take you maybe an hour and a half, two hours mm. to, to go through the nail ladder. You'll have to be really careful because Rue is really heavy. Uh, but the challenge then is only going to be a five. There are other faster routes, but the faster you try to go, the higher the challenge is. The next level will be 10. The next level past that will be 15. Oof. Yes, I'm all for playing it safe if we're simply going up. Who knows if we'll have the luxury to play it safe on the way down. So, yeah, if, if, I, uh, if I make unnecessary haste and make unnecessary waste, my family will kill me if I make it back alive. So, <laughs> All right. So let's well. take it easy. You would be then made into a necessary paste, uh, which could either be turned into a Ooh. goo or a candle, depending on the treatment thereafter. So, wouldn't be Leo, I, I volunteer. I volunteer to be a goo for you once I'm dead. Wow. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember it more and you, than either of you. Blaze, you can take my, my fats or whatever it is you do and, and make candles or soap or whatnot i don't know i'll figure it out i haven't tried soap soap would be interesting but uh especially soap that burns that sounds up your alley burning soap, soap. burning soap oh uh, good prank uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like the way you think bro. that's fun we cut to six months in the future <laughs> after someone has per purchased a prank bar of soap they're in this like rough stone shower they're they're getting themselves warmed up. They grab this bar of soap. Uh, they put it under the water, and immediately they get covered in flames. It's phosphorus. And <laughs> and they, yeah, they run out of the shower, like flaming and screaming, and just kind of everybody around laughs as they're rolling around on the ground, completely engulfed in flames. This Man, that soap was really worth it. <laughs> really worth every penny. That soap was made with Rue's dead body. Rue's ghost is watching. Spoiler alert. Uh... <laughs> laughing yeah. hilariously. Uh, the irony, too, is that the person wow, got... only six months in the future. Yeah, the person got out of the shower when, if they just stayed in, the soap would have just not done much more than just burn them a little. But since they got out, the flames took over, and that, there we go. That's the trick. That's the trick. Yeah, there, there, are, there are very specific instructions in the prank that <laughs> nobody bothers to do. Right. Let's let's move away from the future back to the present and the predicament that you face. You know what what, what roles are, are people making? How are people teaming up to do this together? How is this going? Because it's uh you know you decided to take the full time for it, which is great, but you do still need to hit five. Did I spy that one of you had rope? I do. Yes, I have rope. Toss my then rope on something. May I? Well, may I recommend that I take the, the danger first and then tie the rope to myself so that you can tie it on, and if you fall, my great weight will uh, anchor you and protect you. Oh, wow. Yeah, let's do that. That's smart. Let's go. Okay. Rue, I do think you... It is a simple challenge. You mm -hmm. do only need to hit five. 
you are in armor i do think you've got a minus two that uh, sounds uh, tool penalty there Mm -hmm. well even it out to minus one because you are getting this rope from blaze though yeah so i think i think i need to play a gambit to get ahead of this and i think i'm going to risk i'm taking this this climb very carefully and dropping my dice on the floor and um I think I'm going to focus so much on the handholds and the footholds and the rope and trying to be there for my friends that I take some kind of awkward turn and my, my hammer could fall right out of its sheath and just tumble all the way back down to the gate. Ooh, okay. All right. I'll allow it. That does feel like a one die. So do we Gambit? all roll a uh, 2d6 for this or is this... So, no, the standard roll, I believe, is 1d6. When you take gambits, you get the opportunity to add another d6 or add bonuses to that roll. The things that will also add to your roll are your circumstances. You know, if this were a situation where somebody had anchored a rope that you merely had to, like, uh, climb or swing across, you might get a tool bonus or a circumstance bonus from that. The other thing that could add to it are skills, if it's somehow related to your core skill. And as a group, as a group thing, we would all be adding our one d six together, or no, we're all doing it individually. Right, yeah. Right now, you're all doing this challenge individually. Um, I, I think Rue Crossing will be providing everybody a circumstance bonus once Rue has successfully climbed climbed uh, his way across and the two of you could decide to team up there there are ways to you know do team roles and whatnot but like this is the way that it made sense to me to check this out rue how did that role treat you how does it treat me well i got a six and a one. Oh, okay so i can okay. i can re-roll the six for a plus one there for a total of eight you said minus one I think, mm-hmm. which gives me six. But I do, uh, at the some point, just lose hold of my of my very large hammer that I was hoping to use to crush some skulls, and it goes spinning off into the darkness. Yeah, I mean, you do have two people sort of watching you, so I will allow... Normally, like, interruptions are, are just for when bad things are coming at you and whatnot, but everybody's kind of watching your ascent here. So, uh, Leonardo or Blaze, if you would like to do anything to try and prevent the hammer from falling all the way down, or honestly, because it's going to take a super long time for everybody to climb across, one of you could just Run back go all it. the way down, grab the hammer and get it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tell me what you want to do there. Blaze, do you, do you want to try to catch it or? I don't think that Blaze can catch it, but I can certainly run back down and get it. I think Leonardo is kind of a, kind of a stalwart goomeister, so... I'm going to try to see if I can catch it. I know it's huge. Are you going to try to goo-rabbit? <laughs> I'm going to try to goo-rabbit, perhaps. There we go. A goo-rabbit. That's got to be Strange some kind creature. of <laughs> difficult role. I do think we're, we're probably looking for something like an, an eight to, to, to get that. So with 1d6... Unless I roll really good, I'm probably not. Now, you can have gambits uh, can help you out. And if you have skills or circumstances or tools that you're using to, you know, help you do this, uh, all of that can influence your roll. Okay. I am going to use my bag, which is currently empty. It's a large satchel that I will typically fill with different types of mushrooms, lichens, odds and ends that are fragrant or 
remotely edible looking and take this back to my to my lab and it turns stuff into goo but right now i'm going to use this bag to catch yeah. a different type of uh, material the large warhammer of a friend so that is definitely a plus one i can offer you a gambit as well it's trying time if the hammer has a chance of damaging the bag yes if things go wrong, I will say that absolutely you can add another die. To yeah, that. I'll I'll take a I'll take a penalty to my inventory if it means saving us from having to run down the stairs again. And then I can use my bag if you need to store something. So I'm rolling two d six plus one. So two two d six plus one. Yeah, I got a five and a five for a total of ten plus one. Hey, 11. hey you nail it. Tell me how how does how does this look? What, this is I imagine it looks a little graceful. Yeah, wow, Leonardo Cheese, who does not appear at first glance to be a dancer type, with his his bag sees this large, dangerous, awkward object rolling down the stairs and opens up his bag the way he opens up his mouth to imbibe in him. <laughs> and with a practiced opening of this bag he swallows the hammer hole and then kind of spins so that the weight of it doesn't directly like pull him down but he like swings the bag to kind of take the force that it had going down and transfer it to the side where it was less harmful to him and does a little spin and goes i believe you drop this rue <sighs> Oh my goodness, I One did think hammer. A hammer for a friend. I thought I was going to be smashing them with my hands. No, no. That's great. You, you managed to get Rue across. Rue's hammer was recovered out of the air before it could fall away. So nothing permanently w was, was harmed in this crossing. I'm going to say Rue being an anchor will provide you both with a plus two circumstance bonus to crossing. And I think the presence of the rope being connected to Rue is another plus one. So you just need to roll two if you're going to cross to get past this like gap. Now. I got a four. Boom. Ooh, I got a one. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. All right. So we... <laughs> Yeah. What what happens? I feel like Blaze crosses. How, how what does it look like when Blaze is climbing across? I imagine there's like a little bit of explosive attitude to it. So Blaze has tied the rope around her waist, right? The other end of the rope. And she is climbing across probably way too fast. Like she could fall off at any second. And she is she's also kind of a dancer. So she's putting she's putting some flair into these moves and getting a little bold and doing some jumps, but she's not. Yeah, she she shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> uh, but you know what? <laughs> Live on the edge. I I like it. Yeah, uh, you know you're you're young, you're vital, you're doing something that supports like the art form that is very near and dear to your heart. So you take some risks. You do it with flair. There is a reason that you go grave digging and it is a reason that is shared amongst a lot of grave diggers is you feel alive. So you, you cross over with, with that joie de vie that is so common amongst the younger grave digger set, leaving the rope now for Leonardo Cheese, who does not fare as well. Mm -hmm. I think 
on the nail ladder. It's been years and years since this was set up. Somebody with heavy armor just passed. Somebody who was, you know, kind of dancing over it with vigor just passed. One of these nails just snaps off in the middle of this climb. Thankfully, you have anchored this rope to your friend who catches you, but you do fall and you are now dangling in the air, hanging off of this rope. And what is interesting is that Leonardo doesn't like scream or react. He's in this same kind of like catatonic state that he was in earlier when he was walking through the town and suddenly just stopped moving and was stationary and appeared to be asleep. And there's something weird about his lack of response and how his body has just gone completely rigid. And this normally like jovial, like emotive person is just kind of dangling with a dead, a dead weight, his eyes open and just completely still. Maybe we'll even figure out what's going on later. I, I, I mean, I kind of have a have a pitch for it, but that's uh, we'll, we'll we'll save it for later. I, this is very cool, but yeah, Leonardo has gone slack and limp, so I think it is up to Blaze and Rue. We uh, we got you, buddy. And I'm leaning back as far as I can, to use my mass and the mass of my armor, and starting to pull the rope. Yes, and Blaze is also starting to pull the rope pulling at the rope and honestly uh leonardo not moving and not struggling makes it that much easier to to pull him up an advantage advantage from a disadvantage there we go <laughs> peter h- how do team roles work uh, uh, uh partnered roles like that work we will both roll and we just use the higher result and we get to add half of the lower result okay We'll have you both roll. You also obviously have the plus one bonus of the rope itself. So roll away. I rolled a one. I rolled a three plus one is four. Okay. Um, so getting to add half of Eleni's roll is super, super valuable in this circumstance because that will round up to one, getting you the five you need to pull your friend out of the depths. Uh, one of the reasons that this is so easy is like you had anchored him to a pulley. So like you've got that mechanical advantage going for you. If there's another situation later on in this where there is dangling, we're probably looking something at like 10 or higher to pull someone up. But you had the ideal circumstances, especially because you have the bonus of somebody just not moving and just being dead weight. So yeah, you pull Leonardo up. When Leonardo regains consciousness, Mike, what, what does that look like? At what point does he come back? After after they pull him up, there's like a second where he's just like, they're looking at him like, what what is going on? And then Leonardo opens up his eyes and goes, go to make, go to sell. Oh, well, uh, what are you looking at me for? Awfully curious. Mm, let's go. You, uh, you doing okay? Am I doing all right? I don't see... Uh, uh, are you? Uh, how embarrassing I seem to have uh, slipped down there. I'm so sorry about that. Thank you for grabbing me and hoisting me up. Mm, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. I'm sorry about that. Was this, did I? Did it, was I out of it for a second? You were. Yeah, you went completely. Uh, just, just a second. Just a second. This is long enough for us to to pull you back up. Probably just needed, just needed to catch my breath. Nothing. Rather helpful, actually. 
Yeah. How old is Leonardo, Mike? Uh, 98 years old. No, uh, he, he's, <laughs> cool. he's cool. in, 40, in his 40s, I would say. Or rather, he's in his mm-hmm. 30s, but looks like he's in his 40s because of the, yeah. because of the well. It's a well thing. <laughs> the beard also makes him look a little bit older mm. um, uh, in the style that he wears it. But yeah, I, I think it's either sweat on, on your brow or, or maybe a twitch in your prematurely wrinkled face. There's clearly something behind uh, you assuring everyone that you're okay, but like you are able to put on a brave face at yeah. least for now. There, there's in, in Leonardo's vision, it, it goes a little like hazy for a second. Uh, and when no one's looking, there's like a strange like glow to his eyes, like a, a odd bioluminescence that just like pulses for one second. And he's like, ah, yeah, right. Mm, onwards and upwards, friends. Yeah, and luckily for you, trying to conceal whatever is going on there, we are just steps away from the third gate. Every single gate is kind of spectacular. The third, like all gates, is it's four meters by four meters, so it is this massive, imposing, impressive door. I would like you all, just give me one detail of, of what this gate looks like. This door, I suppose. I shouldn't say gate because gate is a capital G thing in, in this universe. Uh, what, what, is the, what does the door to the third tomb look like? Uh, I would say very rusty. A lot of patina. I think there's a uh, phrase or a couple lines from whatever the era's equivalent of the Poet Laureate was up up along the, the outside edge of the door. And there are also on the like the bottom foot and a half of the door there are these like deep gashes and claw marks but only at the bottom Ooh, cool i like it so yeah you you there's this just massive rusted gate uh we, we can see over the sides like uh, kind of where the hinges would be, there is the thick smell of oil as it's been treated and retreated by people who have found themselves needing to get in to explore it. This episode of One Shot features music from the following artists. Rise by Louis Lyon. Choose Your Own Adventure by Bright Seed. Rainbows and Candy by Dreamlamp. Coat of Arms by Wicked Cinema. And A Dark Past by Wicked Cinema. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. To find more of their work online, anywhere, you can find them at The Other Tracy. Well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week, but don't worry. We'll be back next week with more of The Well. In the meantime, be sure to check out some of the other great gaming shows here on the One Shot Network. Like Campaign. Campaign is an actual play podcast exploring long-form role-playing. The current campaign, Skyjacks, takes place in an original setting inspired by the music of the Decemberists, folktales, and classic adventure fiction. 
Join Liz Anderson, John Patrick Cohen, Tyler Davis, Johnny O'Mara, and Game Master James D'Amato as they tell a tale of daring sky pirates. Also, it's basically an elaborate retelling of Weekend at Bernie's. Just search for Campaign or James D'Amato on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Also, if you're looking for more actual play, Tracy Barnett, the OneShot Network's project manager and the editor of the OneShot podcast, is going to be running one more stream for their new game, You Are the Dungeon. The final We Are the Dungeon stream is going to go live on Tracy's Twitch account on Monday, June 7th from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. Eastern Time. That's at twitch.tv slash theothertracy. As always, we end one shot with a call to action. And this week, I am going to once again encourage you to call your representatives and voice your support for Palestine. The relationship between Israel and the United States enables so much of the violence that the Israeli government perpetrates against Palestinians. And that relationship has been going on so long that many U.S. politicians don't question it. We're only going to see change if people stand up and force their representatives to take notice and take issue with what's happening. And calling your representatives is a really effective way to clue them in onto which issues you care about. Normally, when I call my reps, I use a site called fivecalls.org. That's the number five, calls.org. Well, Five Calls has summaries and scripts for a host of issues, they don't have one for Palestine. However, Five Calls will still be able to help you find contact information for your representatives, which is absolutely the best place to start. Calling is quick, and it can make a huge difference on critical issues. Thanks, heroes. As always, a humble and hearty thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. For the latest one-shot news, be sure to follow me on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod, or look for news on the site at OneShotPodcast.com. If you want to inquire about ad rates, live appearances, commissioning episodes, or you have a general question or comment for the show, contact us at gamemaster at oneshotpodcast.com. OneShot is a production of the OneShot Podcast Network in association with Paracosm Press. Paracosm Press is a Chicago-based tabletop games publisher. You can find more information at p-a-r-a-c-o-s-m-press.com. Finally, that music, which is right now swelling up over my voice, is Adventure by Be Your Own Pet, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes. Heroes.